Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. This Saturday night, make sure that you walk on over to Walters for UFC 275 as Glover Teixeira will defend his UFC light heavyweight championship for the first time. Walters is also the best spot in Navy Yard to watch the NBA Finals. Tip at 9 p.m. this Friday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Three men to the right, one to the left of the infield in Strasburg. Come set. Here's the pitch. Change up, swing and a miss. He strikes out the side. Breaking out the changeup in the bottom of the second inning. A 1-2-3 bottom of the second for Steven Strasburg. I'm going to be outcome biased right now, but I thought he looked good. He really did. And, um, you know, I told him after the game, you know, we talked for a minute. He said he felt good. And welcome to Nat Chat for Friday, June 10th. 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Lone Depot Park in Miami. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. As you may remember, a few years ago, May 2018, to be precise, uh, there was an auditory illusion, Laurel versus Yanni. It was a name said in a certain way, and to some people, the name sounded like Laurel. To other people, the name sounded like Yanni. It was a pretty fascinating thing, actually. Laurel. Laurel. But the point was that the name could sound one way to one person and an entirely different way to another person. Well, that's sort of what we had with the 2022 Major League debut of Steven Strasburg on Thursday night. So the Nats lost at the Marlins 7-4 to complete a three-game sweep. On the one hand, Strasburg gave up seven runs in four and two-thirds innings, and his velocity wasn't exactly great. On the other hand, Strasburg had five strikeouts, and you certainly could make the case that just the fact that he pitched, that he started a major league game, was a victory in and of itself. So, Mark, Laurel, or Yanni, which one was it for Strasburg on Thursday night? Wow, what a way to come into this episode, Al. I'm impressed (laughs) with that reference. I'm trying to remember what I heard four years ago, whenever that was, when that uh, phenomenon occurred, and I don't remember. I'm going to say... Whichever one correlates to encouraged versus discouraged by this. And I know what people out there are going to say. I know you're going to look at the seven runs, especially that last inning, the towering home run he gave up on his last pitch. I know you're going to look at the fastball velocity. And believe me, I noticed that. And that was probably the most discouraging thing to me from the whole night was that he was throwing 90, 91. I think he hit 92 a little bit. That part, yes, was discouraging. But in the bigger picture here, 
what I saw was a guy who came out of the start healthy, who was very encouraged himself afterwards about how he felt. He even smiled during his post-game interview with us, which is not something he typically does, even after a good start. And I saw in those middle three innings, the second, the third, and the fourth, I saw a Steven Strasburg who can be a very good big league pitcher still because he still has an elite curveball and changeup. And if he can find a way to be good enough with his fastball, to command it well enough to then be able to use those two off-speed pitches to get hitters out, I still think there's a chance of him being a pretty effective big league pitcher here. I kept reminding myself all day during the day Thursday and certainly watching this game, it's only one game. Don't overreact to this. You know, it's like when you're a fan of an NFL team and you have your week one result and there's always this over analysis of week one and it ends up so often not being indicative at all of what ends up coming. You know, it's tricky. First of all, it's funny. Uh, Thursday was the 13-year anniversary of the Nats drafting Strasburg. So that was kind of strange that it played out that way. But yeah, I mean, I think this really is one of those outings that you can spin however you want to spin it. The velocity, I found troubling. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I know he was throwing like 92, 94 in those minor league rehab assignment starts. And I'm I'm getting the velocity numbers from MLB.com. So I, I don't know if you saw anything different, but it sounds like we saw the same numbers, like 90, 91 for most of the night. And, you know, when he was doing well in the second, third, and fourth innings, it felt like one of those starts. And we've seen this so much this season from an ads pitcher where, okay, first inning was bad, but then a guy actually settles down and, and you thought, all right, maybe this ends up being three runs in five innings, three runs in six innings. I think we all would have celebrated that. It's how the outing ending, you know, that it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth, but it's one outing, you know? So it's like to go nuts over this and to say, ah, oh, that's it. He's done. He's shot. Like, no, we got to see. Uh, a lot more uh, before we have any kind of certainty with him. I find it interesting, though. So he was encouraged with what he did. That might be the most telling thing of all, because he's not someone who is easily pleased. He's not someone who smiles often. Post-game interviews for him often seem like a root canal for the guy. So the fact that he smiled to you, I actually find that pretty encouraging. I agree 100%. The demeanor, and and let's, I'll be honest, I was more interested in that I think, than almost anything as far as what he was saying. And it was as encouraged as you will ever find him, certainly under circumstances like this. I don't think I've ever heard him talk like that or smile after a loss, after he gave up seven runs. Certainly not. He felt like he was not trying to make it sound like he had pitched well. He was saying that he felt well. And there's a difference there, of course. But he felt like the results were a product of a lack of execution on his part, and also some pitch selection, which we can get to, especially in that last inning. And not a product of not having the stuff that he wanted or not feeling physically right on the mound. So I think that stuff is all very important within this. As far as the velocity goes, that screamed to me a little bit too, because I had heard you know, from several people that he was 92 to 94, and they were very encouraged by that. And then you see 90, 91. I think there were even a few 89s sprinkled in there. What I also heard after this game, though, from both Davey Martinez and Riley Adams, who caught him, was that they were surprised that that was the number because just watching the pitches, they thought they had more life on them than that. They thought the fastball had some late life, some late hop on it. Now, I will say he was not getting swings and misses on fastballs. He had, let's see, one on a fastball. The other five came on the curveball or the changeup. So that's a little bit troublesome there. But I think we have to acknowledge a couple of things. First start back, 
he made three rehab starts and got up to 83 pitches. As we said all along, it's not the same as pitching in a big league game. And even in a normal spring training, you're going to make five, six starts. So he's, I, I would describe this as more of like a extended spring training start than anything. And I want to give him a few more before we start reading too much into it. So I, I think there's a reason to think that can tick up a little bit as well. But I really believe ultimately because of what I saw from the off-speed stuff, that's, and I think we mentioned this the other night, this is how he's going to have to make his living the rest of his career, being really effective with his curveball and his changeup. So if he can just do enough with the fastball to set himself up for the others, I saw enough tonight in the off-speed stuff to make me think that this can work. Yeah. And when he got his five strikeouts, the off-speed stuff often was what was getting those strikeouts or at least setting up those strikeouts. So the final line, seven runs in four and two-thirds innings. Strasburg gave up eight hits, a home run, three doubles, and four singles. He issued two walks, a hit by pitch, and a wild pitch. Like we said, five strikeouts, 83 pitches, 53 strikes versus 30 balls. Uh, Strasburg in the bottom of the first, gave up three runs. Uh, he gave up a leadoff first pitch bunt single to Jazz Chisholm Jr. toward third base. Issued a two-out six-pitch walk of Abisayo Garcia. Uh, Strasburg gave up a two-out RBI double to Jesus Sanchez through the right side of the infield for a one nothing Marlins lead. Strasburg gave up a two-out two-run single to John Birdie for a 3 nothing Marlins lead. By the way, Victor Robles got charged with a throwing error on that play, even though I didn't think he made that bad of a throw to home plate. I thought that was kind of odd. Anyway, Strasburg then settled down. It was good. Uh, scoreless second, scoreless third, scoreless fourth inning. He struck out the side in a perfect bottom of the second. But then things really unraveled in what ended up being a four-run Marlins fifth. Uh, Strasburg gave up a one-out first pitch bunt single to Jazz Chisholm Jr., uh, gave up a one-out RBI double to Garrett Cooper. Uh, the baseball went off Michael Franco at third base into left field for a 4-2 Marlins lead. Strasburg issued a one-out wild pitch. Strasburg gave up a one-out RBI single to Jesus Aguilar to center field for a 5-2 Marlins lead, and Strasburg had had Aguilar down at one point, 0-2. Strasburg gave up a one-out double to Abisayo Garcia uh, off the left center field warning track, though Aguilar got thrown out at home plate via a nice relay setup, uh, Victor Robles to Luis Garcia to Riley Adams. And then came the big blow, and it was a shame that Strasburg's night had to end with this, a two-out, two-run bomb by Jesus Sanchez to right field for a 7-2 Marlins lead. Strasburg had had Sanchez down 1-2, the home run going a projected 417 feet. And then that was it. Strasburg got pulled from the game. I have not yet seen Davey Martinez's postgame session with you guys. What did Davey have to say about how Strasburg pitched? He also was encouraged. He even said, I'm going to be uh, results biased was his exact words. And I, I thought that I got a laugh out of that. He knew that people are going to look at this two different ways. You're going to look at the numbers and then you're going to look at how he actually appeared to be. And Davey liked what he saw from him if he didn't necessarily like the results. He brought up the pitch selection. And I noticed this in the first inning, especially he didn't throw a single change up in the first inning. It was fastball, curveball only. That first inning I thought was weird. There was only one hard hit ball and it was actually a ground ball out. The rest of them were relatively soft contact. There was zero hard contact in the second, third, or fourth. And then all of a sudden, the fifth, four balls were hit off of him at, I think, 96 miles an hour or harder. So to my untrained eye, and they didn't quite you know, acknowledge this, but I think deep down, they would probably admit it. He was fatigued by the fifth inning. Yes, he had thrown 83 pitches in his last rehab start, but it's a different animal. And when you're in a big league game against a big league lineup, it's going to be a little bit different. And so I looked at that fifth inning as more a case of fatigue than anything. And 
and this is especially on that last pitch, I couldn't believe he didn't throw him a change up there. That pitch had been so good for him all night. We know the fastball had not been as good. You've got a lefty hitter up there, two strikes on him. And it felt to me like Strasburg was, he knew this was it. He knew this was his last batter. And he tried to hump it up and see if he could blow a fastball past him. And he couldn't. And he put it in the wrong spot. And I asked him afterwards, if you could have that pitch back, would you you think you'd change the execution of it? Or would you even change the pitch selection? And he smiled and said, probably a little bit of both. So I think he knew deep down that he needed to go to the off-speed stuff more. When he needs outs, that's where he has to go. I don't think, at least at this point, that the fastball is going to be his out pitch. So, you know, those are learning lessons. These are things he's going to figure out along the way. You've got to remember, he hasn't been in competitive outings in such a long time. He hasn't found himself late in a game trying to make a big pitch in a long time. And he's working with a young catcher who's working with him for the first time. And so, I'm sure Riley Adams uh, maybe had a different you know, feeling on it and maybe not the same maturity that a Jan Gomes or Kurt Suzuki would have uh, to call for a changeup in a situation like that. Yeah, it's interesting that the usage of the changeup gets called into question second time in this series that that happens with an ad starting pitcher. This came up with Yohan Adon uh, in game one, right? That Davey wanted Adon to throw his changeup more and Adon ended up not doing that in that game. And now he's pitching for AAA Rochester. You know, I mean, with Strasburg, look, I think everyone understands 2019 Strasburg is probably gone and never coming back. The question is, can you get a close enough approximation to that? Can you get someone who's, you know, serviceable, if not maybe even pretty good for you over the remaining four seasons of this contract after this season? I mean, it may well be that Strasburg becomes a five and dive guy. And, you know, if that's the case, you can live with that if those are five good innings that he's giving you game in, game out. But, you know, I mean, we just don't know what is in that arm. And, you know, I think that's why the velocity thing jumps out. But, you know, you mentioned Riley Adams. Uh, I thought that that was interesting. Cabot Ruiz was not the starting catcher. Riley Adams was. Uh, this was not a day game in terms of a game three of a series, because God forbid the Miami Marlins ever have a day game in game three of a series. Uh, so what did you think about that? I mean, that, that kind of jumped out to me looking at the lineup that Riley Adams, not Cabot Ruiz, was Strasburg's catcher for this game. I wasn't that surprised because of Ruiz uh, catching the first two games. I know it wasn't a day game, but it is still, you know, would have been three in a row. And the fact they don't have a day off now, they're going straight home to play the Brewers. The fact they were facing a lefty in uh, Tyler Rogers. And so I think David was going for the offensive side of that a little bit more with Adams being a right-handed hitter against him. And he pointed out also, and I think this had probably been planned here for a few days, that Adams and Strasburg had been meeting for a couple of days to go over game planning and starting to get to know each other. We got to remember, neither of these catchers had ever caught him before outside of, you know, bullpen sessions in spring training, never in any kind of competitive game. So they have to learn him a little bit. And maybe because he wasn't starting the first two games of the series, Adams could actually spend time with Strasburg. I don't know if they were in the dugout together during games, talking things through or not, anything like that. But I got the sense that they had been planning this out and trying to get on the same page for a couple of days in anticipation of it, knowing that he would start. We'll see. I, I would imagine just because of how important Ruiz is in the long-term picture, he's going to catch Strasburg soon enough, maybe the next start and probably the majority of them. But I also thought it was cool that Riley got to do this one for this reason. He's a San Diego kid, grew up in the area. He grew up watching Steven Strasburg. <laughs> you know? This is where we are now, where you have teammates of his who grew up watching him. And tonight he got a chance to actually catch him in a game. And you could tell that did mean something to him. I think it made sense for this outing, given the circumstances. I don't know if we'll necessarily see that all the time, though. 
You can always email us at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Email from Owen Ranger. Even with an ugly final line, I think that Thursday night was successful. Strasburg had movement on everything and didn't look like he was laboring. Uh, the three first inning runs got on base via a bunt. Speaking of which, the Nats need to stop giving Jazz Chisholm bunt singles with the shift. A bleeder off the glove and a walk where ball one should have been a strike. I think that every TOS guy has lost some velocity after his return. And if Strasburg is going to be 90-91 for a while, I doubt he ever sits higher than 93 again. He should probably be more selective with the fastball, especially the third time through the order. The home run was on a third consecutive fastball. But the biggest win of all will be having Steven Strasburg back on the mound on Tuesday. So yeah, that echoes a lot of what we've been talking about. Look, you grade on a curve with this start number one. If, you know, in each ensuing start here, he's giving up in the neighborhood of seven runs and only lasting for four and two thirds innings, then the conversation does start to change. And look, the velocity could go up. I mean, I don't think we should just just assume now that this is what he is, 90-91. But there is a difference between being 90-91 and 92-94. He was in that 92-94-ish neighborhood before the TOS. So like to get back up to that point, which isn't a great point, but it's something that's meaningful. If you're a 90-91, it's hard to make a living that way in today's MLB. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. But good to have him back. And, you know, I guess the big thing will be how does he feel on Friday morning and Saturday morning? And, you know, does he do his uh, normal uh, in-between start throwing and things of that nature? I guess that in a lot of ways, that's the biggest test right now is what happens in the coming days. Right. And I think we said all along, okay, the focus is on just get through this game and come out of it healthy. And then we don't really know anything until we see him come back and pitch five days from now, and then five days after that, et cetera, et cetera. And I think back to the last two years, he would have a good start sprinkled in there, and then five days later, he'd come out, and in the second inning, he's doing the whole thing with his arm and not feeling right. So I'm not going to declare anything as far as him being out of the woods or having – just because this was encouraging from a physical standpoint, he's still got a ways to go to prove that he can hold up start to start uh, over the course of weeks and ultimately months. So we're not there yet. This was step one in that process. But I do think there were good signs there. I do think that there's reason to think the, the velocity will go up a little bit. I don't think we're going to get much beyond 92, 93. But I agree. I think there's a difference 92, 93 versus 90, 91. We'll see. I think he can probably get there. And I think above all else, I mean, look, if they had cut short this outing after the fourth inning, even with the velocity down, I would have said, boy, that was really good. A sort of shaky first inning that had some weird quirks to it and then some dominance after that. It really was the fifth inning that sort of defined this and turned it from a potentially very encouraging outing to a disappointing one from a results standpoint. And I want to believe that a lot of that had to do with stamina. Give him a chance to build the arm up more to the point that he is approaching 100 pitches on a regular basis. And I think you may see a better close from him in his starts. If he doesn't, if that does become an issue every time he gets to the 80 pitch mark, all of a sudden he's getting hit hard. Okay, now we got a problem. But for a first outing, I'm not going to read too much into that. I want to see this the second and third time out and see some improvement there. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer 
Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. It's getting hot outside. Weather impacts your windows. Hot days can cause a caulk to crack, seal failures, and condensation. Window Nation only uses top-of-the-line materials, including mold spray and quad max sealant. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. <laughs> Rodgers straddling the rubber now, puts the toe in front, has the sign, come set. Runners go, the 3-2 pitch, swung on and lined to the left field, a base hit. This is going to score a pair. Robles has scored, here comes Thomas in from second. He scores as Adrianza stops at second base. Juan Soto comes through in the clutch with an opposite field, two-run single to make it a one-run game. It's now Miami 3 and Washington 2. As for the Nats offense in this game on Thursday night, uh, four runs, nine hits, a double, and eight singles, three walks, two for eight with runners in scoring position. Nelson Cruz was a late scratch. Did Davey say why Nelson was scratched? Yeah, back tightness. Uh, and they are going to send him for an MRI after they get home on Friday. So that's maybe a little more concerning. He's been scratched a few times this year because of the back. I think there was one groin uh, maybe one other thing, a neck or a knee. He had an ankle. Ankle, yeah, okay. So, you know, and in each case, he missed one game and he came right back. Um, the fact he's going for an MRI is maybe a little bit more concerning here. We'll have to find out, you know, how that comes out. But it was late. It was only a few minutes before first pitch when they made that decision. So I think he was 
warming up for the game, you know, hitting in the cage, taking swings like he normally does and said that his back was tight. Look, he's 41. These things are going to happen. The key is you got to manage it and make sure that you take care of it before it becomes anything worse because for a lot of reasons, the last thing the Nationals want to have right now is Nelson Cruz miss any length of time. Uh, Yeah. August 2nd is closer than anybody thinks. Uh, All right. So look, it's hard to get worked up about lineups right now with the Nats, but why was A-Ray Adrianza the number two batter on Thursday night? I mean, was Davies' lineup written in stone? And so when he had to scratch Nelson Cruz, he could only alter so much. I, I didn't understand this at all. And again, I know the Nats are rebuilding. Like, does this really matter? No. But A-Ray Andrianza, I mean, this was his second start of the season. His track record screams he's not a good batter. You have someone like Luis Garcia, who's been pretty good, and Luis Garcia is batting eighth in this game. Basically, you could have batted anyone but A-Ray Adrianza in the number two spot. And A-Ray Adrianza on Thursday night went 0 for 5 with three strikeouts and left five men on base. I'm not second guessing this, though. I'm first guessing this, and I'm guessing I'm not the first person to first guess this off what happened on Thursday night. Do you know why Davey had A-Ray Adrianza batting second on Thursday night? I would say it was a product of a few things. Um, He gave Cesar Hernandez the night off the first time all year that he's done that. So now you have Adrianza as your starting second baseman. This was already planned before Cruz was scratched. So that didn't impact that at all. Now, you're right. Cruz gets scratched. You could move some more things around and they didn't do a lot of that. I would guess it also had to do with Lane Thomas against a lefty. We've seen him hit leadoff some. And with Cesar Hernandez out of the lineup, you want to keep Thomas in that leadoff spot. And he has been hitting the ball well and continues to hit the ball well. And then the third part of that would probably be that Garcia, I get what you're saying about him. He's hit well. Why not move him up? I think sometimes with a young player who there's a big spotlight on, you all of a sudden move up to the top of the lineup and he gets a big head and starts thinking, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that instead of leaving him down in the lineup and take, keeping the pressure off of him. So I would say those are the reasons why. I do think it backfired in this case because Adrianza kept coming up in big spots, especially the fifth inning when they're down 3 nothing and the bases are loaded with one out. And he swings to the first pitch and taps a grounder to third. Now, thankfully, Juan Soto picked him up the next at bat, drove in two. But that was the moment in this game that I thought to myself, boy, that's not the guy you want up with the bases loaded and when you really need a big hit. Could have done a lot of things. Could have had Soto second and Josh Bell third. I mean, he could have put, I don't know, Michael Franco second. I mean, there are a lot of other people. I mean, I would argue in the lineup that was out there on Thursday night, Ray Adrianza may well have been the last guy who should have been batting second. Like, that's an argument you can make. And, you know, one of Mike Rizzo's favorite sayings is, well, you are what the back of your baseball card says you are. Well, what the back of Ray Adrianza's baseball card says is he's not a very good hitter. His thing is defensive versatility. And look, Ray Adrianza in this series, his first series playing for the Nats in the regular season, played left field, third base, and second base. I'd like to know the last time any Nats player did something like that in a three-game series. Played a corner outfield spot, third base, and second base. Two premium defensive infield positions. So, you know, I'm not trying to trash the guy, but I mean, come on. Like, I didn't understand that at all. So anyway, I probably made more of a deal of this than I should. But man, I just thought that was really odd seeing his name in that number two spot on Thursday night. Well, you mentioned the big hit for Juan Soto. 
I guess he's a listener of the Nats Chat podcast because we were saying he's not been having an impact on games. You know, he only went one for five on Thursday night, but that was an impact hit. Like, that's a Juan Soto moment here on Thursday night in an Nats two-run fifth, a two-out, full-count, bases-loaded, opposite field, two-run single to left field to conclude, by the way, an eight-pitch plate appearance and cut the Nats deficit to 3-2. That was only Juan Soto's second hit of the series. He only had two hits in the series, but that was a really good piece of hitting, and that's the Juan Soto we have all been begging to see more of here lately. A line drive to the opposite field off a lefty at the end of a long at bat. Yeah, that was classic Juan Soto. I think it was only his fifth hit with runners in scoring position this season, which is crazy to think about. That felt like a really much needed situational hit for him. And, you know, in that moment, I'm thinking, okay, they're making a game of this. Strasburg is pitching pretty well. They're going to maybe take the lead and get Strasburg out of there with a lead and then go to the A bullpen. And then it just kind of fell apart after that. But for at least that one moment, that's what we needed to see more of from Juan Soto. He also hit a ball well to left in the final at bat of the game. It was caught. It was a line drive and, you know, they're down three. There's nobody on two outs. So it wasn't like it was going to make that big of an impact. But he needed that single in that spot. And you just hope that he gets more opportunities and makes the most of them when he gets them again. Two Nats on Thursday night. Each got on base three times. Josh Bell and Lane Thomas. Uh, Bell, who was back in the cleanup spot for the first time in a while with Nelson Cruz scratched. Two for three. Two opposite field singles and a walk. Isn't that funny? He bats in Nelson Cruz's spot and does what Nelson does so often, go the opposite way. Bell had two opposite field singles on Thursday night. That's so odd how that can happen. And then Lane Thomas, starting left fielder for the Nats, number one batter in the lineup, two for four, RBI double, a single, and a walk. Lane Thomas is on a nice run here. Uh, And that RBI double, that was in a two-run seventh an opposite field RBI double to right field on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 7-4. And actually, two runs ended up scoring on the play. He only got uh, one RBI thanks to a throwing error by the Marlins right fielder, Avisayo Garcia. These numbers are inflated somewhat by the three-home run game, but Lane Thomas in this month of June has a 448 on on-base percentage and an 852 slugging percentage. He's on a nice run here. I mean, he has had now in this month of June, it's not like June is that old, One, two, three, four, five multi-hit games in this month of June. He's on some tear, and it really started with that three-home run game at Cincinnati uh, last Friday night. So Davey said he looks right now like he did last season after they acquired him, and that's a very good sign if that's the case. We've been talking about it. You've reached this point. Put him out there every day. Put him near the top of the lineup and see what he can do for you. Sink or swim, let's find out once and for all. So that is very encouraging that he could do that, not just against lefties, but against some righties as well coming out of the bullpen. That was good. I want to see more of that, whether it's him in left and Robles in center or Thomas in center and Yadiel Hernandez in left, whatever the case, aside from just the you know regular days off that guys need for rest, I would put Lane Thomas in my lineup and have him hitting near the top of the lineup pretty much every day right now. Let's find out for sure what you've got. You mentioned Yadiel Hernandez. So with Nelson Cruz scratch, Yadiel was the starting DH on Thursday night. He batted in the sixth spot. 0 for 4. Yadiel's OPS for the season is down to 7-11. It was at 8-22 through May 28th. May 28th was not that long ago. I know Yadiel hasn't played like every game this season, so each game is it weighs more significantly on his season rate stats than it might for other players. But still, that's a 111-point decline in his OPS 
over these last few weeks. So kind of funny how as he has gone down, Lane Thomas has gone up. It, it's almost like coincides exactly. Like starting in late May is when Yadiel started to struggle and starting in early June is when Lane Thomas got going here. Yeah, the universe is telling us only one of them can be up, one down. It's uh, George having everything go well for him in the opposite episode and all of a sudden Elaine, everything goes wrong for her and then Jerry is even Steven. So, who's even Steven on this team? Steven Strasburg. Uh, might be, yeah. Although he wasn't so even on Thursday night. He's got to get more even uh, moving forward. Nats bullpen on Thursday night was good. Uh, three Nats relievers combined for three and a third scoreless innings. Erasmo Ramirez, who I feel like we haven't seen much of lately, one and a third scoreless innings. Jordan Weems, scoreless bottom of the seventh, although he did his best for that inning not to be a scoreless inning. Gave up a single a walk into wild pitch. And oh yeah, Paolo Espino came in, and I guess what you have to say for him is a high leverage spot, because the Nats were only down by three runs. So by Paolo's standards, that's like a scoreless game in the ninth inning in October. But Paolo, a perfect bottom of the eighth. The Paolo Espino ERA for the 2022 season now is at 2-0-3. We are on the doorstep of Paolo having a sub-2 ERA in this 2022 season. Can we please have this man pitch when the Nats have a lead. Is that something that will happen at some point this season? Uh, yes, I'm going to predict that it will happen on this next homestand because I think he's going to start a game and you would hope that his teammates can give him a lead at some point. He's almost got the sub two ERA. He's almost got a sub one whip now, 1.013. And I looked it up. It's 26 and two thirds innings this year. And he has still yet to pitch in a game that they either led or trailed by fewer than three runs. It's crazy. It's crazy. I hear Davey mention it, that he does want to start using him in bigger spots. It hasn't actually happened yet. I do think we're going to see him get a start here at some point because of a doubleheader they have next week. If not, I do think you're going to see him pitch something that resembles a more competitive situation because frankly, he has earned it more than some other guys who pitch in those spots. So you just sort of tease this. Next up for the Nats is this 11-game homestand that's going to begin with a three-game series against the National League Central leading Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park. Game one, Friday night, 7.05, Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Saturday afternoon, 4.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And then game three, Sunday afternoon, 1.35, is a Nats starter TBD. Is Paolo Espino, you think, going to get that start for Sunday afternoon? No, I actually think that one's going to be Evan Lee, who was warming up conspicuously in the bullpen in the bottom of the eighth this game. It was not going to come in to pitch this game. That was a, we're holding off on you just in case we need you tonight. Like we said, what if Strasburg gets knocked out early? Okay, once it was clear we're not going to need you, go ahead and throw your standard bullpen session, which you would do two days after you started, which he pitched two days ago in long relief. And you would do three days before you start a game. So that to me read as he's going to start Sunday's game against the Brewers. We'll see. Maybe something changes. But that certainly seems to me like how you would handle him to set him up for that. But they are going to need another starter because of a doubleheader next Friday. It doesn't necessarily have to be that day. But at some point during the week, somebody else has got to make a start. And I got a feeling we may be seeing Paolo Espino get that chance to do it. Yeah, this is some stretch. Like I said, 11-game homestand, three games against the Brewers, three games against Atlanta, and then five games in four days against the Philadelphia Phillies uh, next Thursday, June 16th through Sunday, June 19th. 
That's going to be like an NLDS, Nats-Phillies, five games in four days like that. That's crazy uh, what we're going to end up having. Of course, we'll have the retirement of Ryan Zimmerman's number during that series. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shovers again, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We welcome your thoughts on anything that we discuss. So you tell us, Steven Strasburg on Thursday night, Laurel or Yanni, which one was it for you when it came to Strasburg's 2022 Major League debut? All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. We're going to leave you with something special. So in the ongoing NCAA Baseball Championship, is Virginia Tech having advanced to the Blacksburg Super Regional. The number four Hokies going to be facing Oklahoma in a best of three series in Blacksburg Friday through Sunday, although the game on Sunday may not be needed if the Hokies take uh, the first two games of this series. And sending in this report on the Hokies in the Super Regional is a diehard listener of the Natch Chat podcast, Akul Mera. He is class of 2021 from Virginia Tech, and he took the time to submit this report. So first of all, we say thank you, Akul. This is very cool of you to do. Uh, We appreciate your help. And we say go Hokies this weekend against Boomer Sooner. And we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Hey, Tim, Al, and Mark. Here is a brief background of Virginia Tech baseball this season and what to expect for the Blacksburg Super Regional this weekend. This season, Virginia Tech started out 0-4 in ACC play and finished with a record of 19-9, winning their last nine ACC series of the season. Currently, they are ranked number four in the country and were actually number two at one point this season, behind just Tennessee until they lost to North Carolina in the ACC Championship Tournament. They are currently 44-12. and 12. Hokies head coach John Sheff actually coached at the University of Maryland from 2013 to 2017 and has been at Virginia Tech since then. He did well at Maryland, taking them to two Super Regionals and had an overall record of 179 and 120. Coach Sheff's first couple years at VT were rough as he went 21 and 33 and 26 and 27 with horrendous ACC records of 8 and 22 and 9 and 21 respectively. They started out really hot in 2021, but cooled off as the season went on. And for that reason, there were very low expectations for 2022 and were predicted to finish dead last in the ACC this season. Now they're nationally ranked in the top five. This season, Virginia Tech made the NCAA Regionals for the first time since 2013, one of the longest droughts in the powerhouse ACC. As the hosts, they knocked off Wright State and Columbia twice to get to the Super Regionals. Back in 2013, when they last made the Regionals, VT was eliminated at home by Oklahoma, which is exactly who they get to face off against this weekend in Blacksburg. I'm sure they'll be looking to get some revenge. For Virginia Tech, sophomore Griffin Green and freshman Drew Hackenberg have been the starting pitchers for the Hokies for games one and two of almost every series this season. Their game three starter has varied throughout the season. Green is 7-2 with a 4.52 ERA in 15 starts, and Hackenberg is 10-2 with a 3.1 ERA across 15 starts. They're a phenomenal one-two punch. The Hokies' batting lineup is straight-up offensive, no pun intended. Their top three of Nick Bittison, Gavin Cross, and Tanner Schobel might be the best top three in the country. Bittison is hitting 353 with a 420 on base percentage and a 523 slugging percentage. He's at 12 home runs and driven in 45. Cross is batting 335 on base of 416 and slugging 610. He himself has 16 home runs and 48 RBIs to go along with his 1.260 OPS. 
Gavin Cross as the number nine ranked 2022 draft prospect per MLB.com. Lastly, Tannel Schrobel is hitting 373 with an on-base of 412 and a slugging of 580. 18 home runs and a whopping 73 RBIs this season. I think you can guess who he's been driving in. I could do this with every hitter in the lineup, but that top three is special and I thought it was worth highlighting. I want to give a quick shout out to Hokies first baseman Lucas Donlin, who I played Little League with and against in Great Falls Little League in Northern Virginia growing up. And Game 1 of the Blacksburg Super Regional between Virginia Tech and Oklahoma kicks off Friday at 3 p.m. Game 2 is at noon on Saturday, and Game 3, if necessary, will be played sometime on Sunday. The winner of this three-game series advances to the College World Series. Keep up the great work on the podcast, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about the Hokies.